Yeah, let's kick it off with back to school. And I'll tell you what, my kids, they want to go back to school. They miss their friends, but I wonder what it will be like in the fall. Well, let's check in now with Terry Mooring. She is the president of the BC Teachers Federation. I'm very pleased she could make the time for us today. Hi, thanks a lot for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Good morning. Good morning to you. So uh, what's happening right now in terms of the uh, the planning for the fall? Where are we at right now? So planning is underway. There's 25 teachers that are working in working groups and a steering committee to take a look at all the kind of technical issues around um, what's going to be needed uh, in September. Uh, we're planning for any eventuality. In other words, you know, we could be going through a number of stages next year. And uh, so we need to make sure it's all uh, doable, that it's sustainable, uh, unlike June. What, what is okay? What do you what do you mean by that? Like what happened in June? You, you're saying June was not sustainable and doable. It, it, well, it wasn't sustainable um, uh, because what happened is that teachers were both teaching remotely and in class, and and right. you know we knew that there'd be a, a few number of students that returned, and indeed there was you know between thirty five and forty percent of students that came back, and yeah. so the vast majority of the work was done uh, remotely, even though most of teachers' time was spent in class, and so that's not a sustainable model. Doing both jobs is not sustainable, and yeah. so what what the planning is revolving around. Around um, for September is making sure that all the health and safety precautions are put in place. That's number one. Uh, schools need to be safe, and and they will be. Um, and uh, also making sure that whatever stage we're in, that it is sustainable for students, their families, uh, and teachers. Okay, I got two kids in the in the public system, and in my experience, and I think I've heard this from a lot of parents too. It seemed to really vary. Uh, from kid to kid almost, or classroom to classroom and teacher to teacher with the quality of the online learning that they received. Some teachers are great at it, some kids were good at it, and others not so much. You know, it seemed to vary. What was your experience with uh, how this happened here late in this last school year? Well, we were in an emergency situation in the spring, and everything happened very quickly. We, we moved to remote learning very quickly. Um, lots of teachers had to learn new platforms. Um, there is also limited online resources, which needs to be um, more in place in, in September. There needs to be many more online resources for teachers who are still um, teaching remotely. Um, but, you know, everyone understood it was an emergency situation. Um, everyone was doing the best that they could. Uh, we had grave concerns um, around um, true access for all students to their education because of technology issues, because of, you know, lack of access to technology or the Internet, but also, um, you know, other sorts of issues that were going on in families in terms of um, loss of employment, perhaps, and, and lots, lots of emotional issues um, because of the pandemic. It's a very certain time. So there was lots going on. Um, and, and that was understandable. Everyone was kind of, you know, doing things on the fly. And, you know, though teachers were obviously carefully planning, um, everything happened very uh, quickly. And so for September, we were heartened that government, you know, uh, decided to do some more, much more broad-based planning, which we're involved in right now. And what, you know, needs to happen is all the issues that we're raising in those working groups uh, need to be addressed. Okay, what does the government explain to to you guys at the union in terms of what this is going to look like in the fall? Like, is the government uh, hoping that best case scenario is that they have full classrooms in the fall? Is that kind of part of the contingency? Or are we expecting staggered, st- more staggered dates and kids just going to school two days a week? I mean, what are you, what are you anticipating? What should parents expect? 
So what, uh, you know, it, it's wholly based on the health data, obviously, yeah. and, and what we're seeing Which is right changing, now. Which is changing every day, so. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of a concerning trend at the moment where, yeah. you know, cases seem to be increasing. Um, you know, I think everyone is on the same page in terms of wanting students in school as much as safe to do so, because right. in-class learning is, is the best learning for students. And so, especially our students that are diverse learners, um, are more vulnerable students, you know, um, that gap between, you know, those students that were being successful in terms of remote learning and those who weren't was really widening. Um, and that's because in-class learning is, is best for, for many, many students for many reasons. And so, you know, what we're hoping that we're in class as much as we possibly can be. Uh, I think it's likely that we'll move through a couple stages uh, next year. Uh, it really depends on how careful people are in BC in this summer in terms of, you know, being responsible yeah. with social distancing, wearing masks, not going to huge gatherings. Um, yeah, that's really going to set the stage for what we can do safely in September for students. Speaking to Terry Mooring, she's the president of the BC Teachers Federation. When we had the limited in-class school going on at the at the end of the last school year, there was a significant amount of apprehension from teachers and also from uh, from parents. How did that go in terms of um, COVID nineteen? Like, to, to your knowledge, did was there any recorded case of a, of a COVID nineteen? Um, positive case in any schools that affected any school operations, to your knowledge? Yeah, we, not to my knowledge. Um, okay. You know, obviously everyone's really concerned and wanting to do things really carefully. It's been our position all along that, that PPE, like masks and face shields, should be available to teachers upon request by the employers. Uh, we think that's really important. Um, it's also important that we have smaller class sizes to ensure physical distancing, um, and and re- reducing physical contact. So, and all that needs to be taught um, and expected in in our school system so that it is safe. And and you know, teachers obviously number one priority has been safety, the safety of students, um, and and safety of the adults in the buildings. And so, there's lots of procedures that were put into place in June to um, make sure things are safe. And and that needs to continue in September. And so that means um, a more of an investment also in making sure that the hand soap is available, sanitizers available, all those things that you would expect would be available in schools consistently really haven't been because of our history of underfunding. Um, You know, school districts had to save money um, and, and, and some did that by reducing custodial staff, by reducing the cleaning supplies and that sort of thing. What this pandemic has really shown is the importance of cleanliness, of making sure that we have daytime custodial staff, all those sorts of things. So all of that needs to be in place in right. September. And, and teachers and families need to feel confident that it will be available for, you know, the entire year. And, not, and beyond that also, I think this pandemic has really highlighted the importance of school cleanliness. We've been really concerned about that for a long time. Um, and, and this needs to be on a go-forward basis. We can't go back. You know, we, who knows, you know, what the next sort of right. virus will, will show. Let me ask you this real quick, and then we'll take a, a break and, and get some phone calls going, too. But what do you think about the idea of face masks in school? And here's an opinion poll came out yesterday that really jumped out at me. It says, uh, by the Leger polling company, almost two-thirds of Canadian parents uh, believe children returning to school this fall should wear face masks at least part of the time. This is an interesting poll. It kind of broke it down by 
at what times kids should be wearing face masks. Uh, should it be just while they're on a, a bus traveling to school? Should they wear face masks in class, maybe just during recess or lunch? Do you have any thoughts on that? Like, do you think kids or teachers should be wearing face masks in, in school? Well, what um, it has been clear is that the, the face mask um, advice has been um, ever-changing. And also our knowledge of how the virus is transmitted has been changing as well. And what we're seeing is more and more, uh, both federally and provincially, there has been advice that, that uh, PPE be worn, that face mask be worn. Um, again, it's, it's, we, we think it should be available uh, upon request, um, that, that teachers should have it available. It was really important to us that um, the well, you, wearing... You think it should be people, optional then, though, right? Well, I think, you know, right now, it, where we're going is that it needs to be provided. And, and it's not right now, currently. Um, provided been, and optional, right? Like, it, right. Should, it should be available, but optional. It, it should be provided. It should okay. be an option for, for people to wear. Okay. Uh, we, I expect teachers and students both to be wearing PPE um, in, in September. So gross and disgusting that this Prime Minister keeps using the pandemic as an excuse for his corruption. The very first act that this Prime Minister did when the pandemic hit was try to give himself unprecedented power and eliminate the role of the opposition in Parliament. And now we know why, Mr. Speaker, because when they're pushing $300 billion worth of deficit out the door, they will stop and take the time to reward their friends. That is the essence of this Liberal Party under this Liberal Prime Minister. I don't even have a question, Mr. Speaker. It's just disgusting. Oh, whoa. Whoa. Is uh, Andrew Scheer, the federal conservative leader yesterday in the House of Commons. This got crazy yesterday during question period. Of course, he's uh, teeing off on the, the We Charity scandal. We brought you some of that live on yesterday's show as we continue to follow this We Charity story. But, man, oh, man, the opposition there just uh, going after Trudeau tooth and nail there, grilling him like a hamburger in there yesterday on this We Charity thing. And, man, they didn't hold back there. You heard Sheer there flying off the handle. We're going to talk a little bit more in here now about the uh, the We Charity situation. Got both sides of it here for you. First, I'm very pleased to welcome to the show Carla Qualtro. She is Canada's Minister of Employment, Workforce Development, and Disability Inclusion. She is uh, the MP for Delta here in BC. I'm very pleased to welcome her back to the show. Minister, thank you for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Okay, it got pretty heated and nasty in there. I guess that's the the essence of politics in in question period yesterday. But c- can you give me your your take on on this situation? This thing doesn't seem to be going away uh, for the prime minister for the government. This uh, near billion dollar contract that was handed to to We Charity are, are is are you guys in trouble on this? What are your thoughts on it? Well, first of all, there's no debate that the prime minister and the finance minister should have recused themselves. And for the obvious reason of their immediate ties to the organizations, but also to insulate the decision, which I, as a cabinet minister sitting around that table, felt was the right one. So not only can we now not deliver this project, there's all this noise, and and I'm not not saying that to kind of minimize it, but there's all this, this kind of side discussion around this particular controversy that's taking away from the important work we're desperately trying to do to help people in this crisis, which is still ongoing. Okay, yeah, you mentioned uh, as a member of the cabinet, you were sitting around the cabinet table, and, and when this proposal came to came in front of the cabinet to give We Charity uh, control of this contract, um, you, you felt it was the, the right thing to do. I, I appreciate that 
cabinet confidence rules that they are. There's not a lot that you can say about what happens in a cabinet meeting, of course. But can you tell me, like, when this first came up for discussion, did anybody at any time say, hang on a minute here, this We Charity outfit is very close to the Prime Minister, very close to his family. What's going on here? There, are, there, there could be some problems here. Like, did anybody say that? Did anyone sound the alarm bell that this could be a, a, a problem? Well, you know, there's absolutely no, uh, it's no secret that the Prime Minister has a particular passion for youth engagement and youth service. And he's, you know, been very strongly kind of advocating for youth issues his entire political career. So in that way, I personally knew that he'd spoken at WE um, events. I have spoken at one WE event in Vancouver four years ago. Many politicians of all stripes have spoken, you know, former prime ministers, ministers of all political parties. So, you know, well, I knew. I'll I'll tell you my perspective, because I can't obviously share what others shared, but was that, you know, he had a connection to this organization. I did not at all know his family ties. I didn't know about the compensation um, that part I wasn't, I wasn't aware of and certainly would have raised it had I known. But let's take a step back. So we announced in April this $9 billion pro, uh, student benefit package. I, I actually was the one who announced it. So as Minister of Employment, I was responsible for the elements of job creation and um, increased loans and grants and income support, the student benefit. And I also announced the student service grant. At that point, we did not have an organization or we didn't have a delivery method, I guess, is a better way to put it. We didn't know how we were going to deliver it, although we had options in front of it, or I wouldn't have announced it. We then went back, you know, for the next month and figured out how it would be delivered. So my colleague, the Minister of Youth, went forward on the student service piece, and I went forward on the other pieces. And it was a good eight weeks later that we announced that we would be doing, uh, delivering the student service grant, which, again, is not a controversial way of delivering. You know, the federal government... We only have so many ways of delivering to Canadians, either directly like, say, the CERB or through the provinces or through third parties. So that's not an uncommon way of delivering, Uh, especially when you want to help people directly. Okay, but I I would suggest to you that it is uncommon for an organization to have these kind of ties to the prime minister and his family to to be handed effectively a sole source contract like that. and. And this is why the government is is in trouble on it. You mentioned that you were the minister responsible for making the the announcement back in April about a a plan for students. Um, Did we we've heard in some of the committee testimony this week, minister, that uh, that we charity had directly approached government and with some of the uh, with a pitch to to become involved in, in working for the government. Were you ever directly lobbied by We Charity? Like, did Mark or Craig Kielberger ever come to you and talk to you about, hey, maybe we can help you guys out and do some work for the government? No, not to me directly. No, I've never, I, I've never met them. I, I've never spoken right. with We. The kind of things I do in employment programming, we don't. I, I wouldn't interact with We Charity whatsoever. Right. Um, but again, I'll say the fact that they that they put, I get unsolicited proposals by the dozens. You know, we hear you guys want to solve this problem. Here's the proposed way of doing it. So, and I can tell you there are kind of repeat offenders. There's frequent flyers. There's, there's organizations that regularly send government proposals on how we can help is probably the most positive way of framing it. Right. You mentioned that in, in your, in your opinion, we charity was, this was the right decision to give them this, uh, this contract. Um, couldn't the government have done this? Like the, the opposition has said, You've already got a, a very successful 
a Canada summer job program for students that has put 70,000 kids into summer jobs, in many cases working directly with charities and nonprofits, very similar to the objectives that you were trying to do under this student grant program. A lot of people have wondered, why did you need We Charity at all to run this thing? Can you make the case for why they were the only the only organization that could have done this for you? Yeah, and thank you for the question, because I think you're right. There's a lot of, of, of questions around that. So, you know, Canada Summer Jobs is a job matching program where we set out the objectives, we assess the jobs against those objectives, we fund the jobs, and we post the jobs. And that's all we do. And that's a really important function that the public service fulfills. But they're not in the business of finding young people, helping them get the jobs, preparing them to do the jobs successfully, helping the organizations who have these opportunities create job descriptions. And, like, whenever we need kind of one-on-one, more concierge support, we always outsource it because that's not our expertise in the government. So, well, Canada Summer Jobs is really important. It's job creation. And this year it's 80,000 jobs, super important right now. When we want to, through our employment programming, help un- underrepresented young people or youth at risk get these jobs, or we want to help people succeed, whatever group you're from, we always use third-party intermediaries. Because what we was going to do is everything from screening and uh, you know onboarding and training and matching the jobs, working with the nonprofit sector to help create these jobs, because they're already stretched. They don't have... You know, I hear in my own writing, Carla, there's no way I could take on two young people as volunteers unless you help me because I don't have staff to, to train them and oversee them. And so this is about also okay. helping the nonprofit sector have this capacity. Completely okay. different objective than Canada Summer Jobs. Okay, speaking to Liberal Employment Minister Carla Qualtro, Minister, f- final question for you. Do you think that there are a lot of unanswered questions here? Uh, the prime minister has apologized. The employment minister is uh, the the budget. The uh, finance minister has apologized. The deputy prime minister has apologized. There are investigations going on. Um, there are a lot of unanswered questions here. Question period is not the best forum, in my opinion, to get the answers that Canadians are. I think are legitimately asking about this situation. The prime minister has been summoned to testify in front of the House of Commons committee. Do you believe he should testify? <clears throat> Well, I actually think, honestly, the jury's still out on that. So today the finance minister is testifying, um, which I think will provide critical information from the perspective of the kind of funding source for this program and how finance puts rigor and due diligence and, you know, his own personal ties to the organization. So I think, you know, it it, it doesn't happen historically that prime ministers appear at, at committees, so it would be quite um, quite extraordinary for it just had the last prime minister. Prime ministers don't do this as a matter of course. Um, it may be that he decides to, but quite frankly, in my opinion, the jury's still out and he's going to have uh, to make that call after we see what other information and, and if questions are answered satisfactorily for other people. Minister, thank you for coming on today. My pleasure. Take care, Mike. All right. Welcome back. As we continue talking about the We Charity scandal, my guest is Jugmeet Singh. He's the leader of the federal NDP. Uh, minister, uh, minister, Mr. Singh, thanks a lot for coming on today. Thank you very much, Mr. Smith. Okay, let's talk about the We Charity Affair, and I appreciate you taking the time on a busy day in Ottawa there. I just spoke to Carla Qualtro, the Liberal Employment Minister. Uh, she says that um, that the we, we Charity was the only organization capable of doing this work. That's why they hired them. She thought it was the right decision. Your thoughts? Uh, I think that there's a lot of holes in that argument. I mean, uh, we heard from the, the public service directly. They said, well, we could do it easily, and we would do it for $40 million less. 
so the public service could do it. It also doesn't make sense that the government wanted to create a brand new program to help students when there's existing things that work that are proven that would be faster and simpler to get help to students, like Canada Summer Jobs, like yeah. the grant program. There's so many ways to help students. It did not have to be this complicated way. She's, she said and, they couldn't do that. I put that to her. I said, what about the Canada Summer Jobs program? She said, no, no, they couldn't do it. We had to bring in outside help. No, I'm saying that they don't need to. This program itself is not proven. It's, it's something that they made yeah. up, but they could have just used existing programs, just use the summer jobs program and extend it and expand it so that more people get more students get jobs, yeah. give more grants to students, help them out with student debt. The idea is there. The liberals are claiming that this was about helping students. Well, there's lots of ways to help students. They didn't need to create a brand new program, unproven, never done before. When we're in a pandemic, we should use the most effective, fastest, simplest ways to get help to people. And that would make more sense. You know, we're not in a position where we can experiment. Let's try to do the proven ways to help students. Okay, what are your thoughts on, on the way Trudeau has responded on this? He answered questions yesterday in question period. Uh, do you believe that Trudeau should testify in front of some of these House of Commons committees? I like what you said during the break. You know, he must testify. I mean, I think there's no question about it. Uh, Canadians are worried. This is the Prime Minister of Canada. And the question is, people are wondering, is he in it for people or is he in it for his well-connected friends? And right now, this is an example of helping out close friends of the Liberal Party and the Prime Minister when people are being left behind. People are worried right now that CERB is going to end in August. And for those who can't go back to work, what are they to do? They're worried and they don't want a prime minister who is working to help his powerful friends or his close and well-connected friends, which we continue to see as a pattern of behavior. They want to see the prime minister work for them. Okay, when you take a look at this We Charity organization, it's very unusual the way this uh, organization is set up. You've got the main We Charitable We Charity organization, which is a, a federally registered charity. Then you have these uh, related companies that are private for for profit companies. There's lots of money sloshing around between the the two uh, two arms of the uh, th- this organization. Uh, Global News reported yesterday that they actually set up. Uh, an, an even different uh, branch of the organization to get this sole source contract from the government, which raises a lot more concerns. I mean, when you take a look at the, the organizational structure of this organization, what kind of concerns are raised in, in your mind? Oh, this is one of those things that as we dig deeper, there's just more and more troubling details. Uh, for example, on that sole source contract, the actual wing of the of the organization that received what that was going to receive the contract was actually a, a wing of the 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 organization that clearly states that the sole purpose is to hold real estate. That yeah, was actually yeah. the department that was going to receive, right? So their sole purpose is holding real estate. Well, then why are uh, they receiving uh, a contract from the government for, for such a massive sum of money? There are just so uh, many questions. And it really comes down to, you know, the prime minister says certain things in public, which, which sound good. But behind closed doors, when he's signing contracts and deals, it looks like he's working for his friends. The SNC Lavalin was helping powerful friends. In this case, it's helping well-connected friends. It looks like the prime minister is using his position to help his close friends instead of helping the people who need it most. And that's really what cuts to the heart of why people are so worried about this. We've got a pandemic, and we need someone in charge that's making the decisions in the interest of people, not their close friends. Okay, why should people be worried about this average working people that you that you like to represent here at the, at the NDP? Why should they be worried about a scan, a complex scandal like this that really doesn't have much impact on their day-to-day lives? Why should Canadians be concerned about it? 
Well, it's really about choices. So we've got a a pandemic where we need to make choices to help people. And if the prime minister is making choices and the Liberal Party and the finance minister, they're making choices that are very suspect in terms of whether they help people, but are very clearly going to help close friends, then it calls into question the decisions they make. And, And that's why being in a minority government, we've actually had the chance to highlight some of these things. If we were in a majority government, the government would have, the prime minister would have just gone ahead with these things, but we can stop these these uh, inappropriate activities because we're in a minority and we need to be making decisions that are strictly going to help people, helping Canadians with living with disabilities, helping students, helping people who can't get back to work because their, their jobs are no longer there, those in the tourism sectors, those in mm. the festival sectors. Those are the people that need help, people who can't get back to work uh, we need to be make sure, making sure that all the decisions are helping people. Yeah, and I guess one of the, the sort of side effects of this scandal is you got a, basically a billion bucks in limbo there that should be going out to help students right now. And, and instead, it's, we got this scandal going, going on. We just have a minute left here. Uh, as, as the investigations continue here in front of these various House of Commons committees, what do you think is the sort of number one question that uh, the government and Trudeau should be required to answer? Just got less than a minute here. Yeah, the main thing is I, I think the Prime Minister needs to be there to testify, needs to waive all cabinet confidentiality so that we can get to the heart of this and uh, provide all documentation. As we're seeing the details come out and emerge, we're finding that there's more and more sus- suspect about what will happen. So we need full transparency. That's what it is. Thank you for coming on today. Thank you, sir. The Edmonton Eskimo Football Club will be discontinuing the use of the word Eskimo in its name. Okay, welcome back to the show. This is Mike Smith. This is the Mike Smith Show, and that was the voice of a team official there for the Edmonton Eskimos football team in the CFL. That name is now history. The team now officially known as the EE football team as they search for a new name for Edmonton's CFL team. This has been a long time coming. There's been a controversy around the name for a long time, and for a long time it looked like the name was going to stay, but things have changed a lot, especially in the last few weeks and uh, the team will be renamed. Let's talk about this now with my guest, Dave Campbell. He's the Edmonton football team color analyst for 630 Ched Radio in Edmonton. Dave, thanks a lot for coming on today. Hey, happy to be here. Thank you. Okay, what do you think about the name change? I mean, you've been around this team for a long time. I know a lot of people have been proud of the name and wanted to stick with it for a long time, but things really seem to change rapidly here in the last few weeks. What are your thoughts on it? Yeah, you know for sure, and you know this was a topic that you know has kind of come to the to uh, to uh, the forefront. Uh, you know, we we think about you know ten, fifteen, twenty years ago, this would kind of show up uh, every you know every couple of years. And then I remember in the twenty fifteen Grey Cup of Winnipeg when the Eskimos beat the uh, the Red Blacks, or I should say the E football team. We're going to have to have a jar every time I say the old name and yeah. uh, put a loony in it. But uh, you know when the when when Edmonton beat Ottawa, there was a, a piece written um, by uh, Nathan Obed, who uh, who uh, is uh, runs uh, uh, a very large Inuit community uh, group in in Canada. And then every year it just seemed to come up. I remember it came up in Ottawa when when Edmonton was in the East Final against the Red Blacks. I remember it came up in Winnipeg for the West Semifinal. Then it just seemed to accelerate. So you, you go from hearing about the name every few years or a couple of years, then it became once a year, then it became twice a year, then it became, you know, several times a year, and then it became monthly, then it became, you know, weekly, then daily. And, you know, the last couple of weeks, I think things really accelerated. 
when Beller Direct and a number of other sponsors, uh, a couple other sponsors, uh, expressed concern about the name and, and said to uh, the, the team that if you do not drop the name Eskimos, we are going to pull our sponsorship. And I think when you're in a pandemic and you're in a situation where there is no league, there is no revenue coming in right now, um, you are really under pressure to do the right thing. And, and Chris Preston, the uh, CEO and, and president of the team, said yesterday that, you know, even prior to that, he, he said that over the last month we have seen the acceleration of concern about the name. And right. I think there was some internal, you know, some internal uh, strife about it and, and debate about it among the board of directors. But I think at the end of the day, they had to do this. They had to change this. Uh, uh, they had to change the name, make this decision, because I don't think they were ever going to get out in front of it. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's the right decision. I think it was kind of inevitable, and it really seemed to be kind of a movement that was an irresistible force here, especially in the last month or so. I think it really started with the death of George Floyd, potentially in the United States, the, the mm-hmm. anti-racism rallies that we saw across America, and of course in Canada as well. That seemed to exert pressure on a lot of sports teams and their names, their mascots. We saw the Washington Redskins. They, they're going to change their name, the Cleveland Indians. So it just seemed to be a movement that just looking at team names across different sports uh, and, and leagues, you know, the Edmonton Eskimos, you just knew that was going to be at the top of the list in Canada for, for a name change. So I, I'm not surprised by it. And um, I'm not sure it's it's a bad thing. I think maybe it's an opportunity as well to maybe inject some excitement around around a new name. But in, in your experience, you've been around this team for a long time. Do, do you what, what's been the reaction of people? I mean, are people are people comfortable with the name change or is there anybody angry about it? Like are pe- anybody threatening to cancel their season tickets or anything over it? Yeah, I think this has been a very divisive issue about the name, and I think there's a lot of fans that are very upset. In fact, there was a, there was a result of a, I don't think it was the most recent survey sent out to season ticket holders, but a previous survey that said 90% of season ticket holders favored the name Eskimos. And, you know, they're not part of the Anuk or Inuit community, but they are still your clientele, and there's a danger that you're going to make them angry if you make a decision like this and how many fans are going to walk away. And I do think there will be some that walk away and whether I agree with it or not, it's just the reality. And I think there are other fans that will not be happy about the name change, but will understand why it's being made. And then there's some that quite frankly, that, you know, have, have called for the name change and do not care one, one iota about the football team and they'll just go away. So I think this is a very divisive issue uh, absolutely. And I don't think every name has the same meaning as other names. That being said, this was a very divisive issue, even among the Inuit community, that there were some that yeah. liked the name and felt it was a prideful name and, and, and an honoring name to a small group of people. And then there were others that said, no, this is, this is harmful. And you can't deny that there are people on both sides of it. But at the end of the day, I mean, what's, what are you going to do if, if the noise keeps getting louder and if you're a football team, if you're a business, any negativity is bad that, that, that comes towards you is bad, and you have to address it. And, and I think this was a snowball rolling down the hill getting bigger. And uh, I'll, I'll give you a quote from Chris Preston, uh, again, the president and CEO of the football team. Uh, we interviewed him last Wednesday after their uh, annual general meeting, uh, giving the financials from the 2019 season. He says, it's like we put our finger in, into one hole and then three others pop up. So that just tells you that, this story, this this movement has a lot of power and strength, even though there was a lot of people that were in favor of the name. I just don't think this was an issue that the Eskimos could overcome anymore. 
Speaking to Dave Campbell, he is the Edmonton football team color analyst for 630 Ched Radio in Edmonton. All of this, of course, coming at at a time of uh, really, I guess, a crisis for the league with the pandemic. The league effectively shut down right now. Not really clear when we're going to start playing again. The Edmonton team itself, I know, has gone through some internal internal changes with a new head coach coming in. I mean... What are your thoughts on the current status of the team and the league, and are they actually going to play CFL football this year? Yeah, I think there's a real, real question whether they will play this year. And this just came out from Ottawa that the Canadian Heritage Minister uh, said that Sport Canada does not provide funding for uh, two for-profit independent leagues such as the CFL. So that is not good uh, because the CFL was asking for $42.5 million of financial aid from the feds which would, uh, a lot of that would be wage subsidy for the players to pay their prorated salaries. And then uh, that would also uh, be helping to operate the bubble in Winnipeg, uh, where all nine teams would play a, a six-game schedule and playoffs in Winnipeg over a span of about you know seven, eight, nine weeks. So that's not good. If there's no federal funding, there will be no league this year, right? Because wow. I can't see the owners, uh, even though, you know, <laughs> This isn't the 90s anymore, Mike, where, uh, you know, even owners weren't all that wealthy. And, you know, we know that the CFL is a very much a, a, a philanthropist uh, type of league. But there's a lot of owners in this league with money uh, that are billionaires and um, that, that have a lot of money behind them. But, you know, the CFL has always been this league where owners just, I don't think they feel like they need to spend money because they're so reliant on the gate revenue. And, and the CFL is not set up for a COVID-19 environment. I mean, they need butts in the seats to make money. And even if they played this year, I mean, they would still lose a lot of money. It would be, uh, it would be less than not playing. But um, the fact that there is no federal funding, well, we don't know for sure yet, but this doesn't bode well from what, what is coming from Ottawa. So if there is no federal funding, then I can't see the league playing this year. And, and does that mean, you know, the EE football team and eight other teams are you know, in trouble and, you know, and the league's going to fold? I don't think so. But I think it's going to force you know everyone in the league, uh, from an ownership level, to pony up a little bit and to uh, and find a way to uh, make this make this work in 2021 and in the future. So uh, we're going to know probably in the next 48 to 72 hours what's going to happen with uh, with with the season. But uh, okay. the news out of Ottawa right now isn't good. <laughs> okay, all right. It looks like the whole CFL season here kind of on the on the edge right now. What about the new name for for the team, Dave? It, the, uh, the the league the team says they're going to go through a process here to come up with a new name. Right now, it's just the EE football team is is the I guess the official name interim name right now is they before they come up with a permanent name. Does that indicate that they are going to retain the double E uh, logo and they're looking for an alliterative name here? So they want an Edmonton and a team name that will begin with an E. Is that what's going to happen? Yeah, Chris Preston said yesterday during the uh, the Zoom conference that uh, the desire is to keep the double E logo and the desire is to keep the color scheme. And I think that is very important because, you know, you know we talked about the, the name Eskimos being a, a, an iconic name and a, and a historical name. Uh, the color scheme and the logo are also um, very historical as well. Now, yeah. the, the thing is you kind of pigeonhole yourself into one letter of the alphabet, so right. that makes it a bit more challenging, but we've seen... Ottawa do this. They were called, you know, they were called the Rough Riders and the Renegades, and and now the Red Blacks. They were able to keep the R on the helmet, and the R is, you know, that's a that's an iconic uh, logo in the CFL and in Ottawa sports as well as in Canada. So, 
Um, if they can do it, that'd be great. Now, I don't believe they're gonna, they, they are going to choose Empire. I don't believe they are going to choose, I know, Esk has been talked about. I don't wow. think that's going to happen. Um, if it makes sense, uh, they, you, you keep the E name. If it doesn't, then you find something else. And is there a creative way where you can re- retain the double E? And there's a lot of a lot of people that are looking at this that are way smarter than me. So uh, I have faith in whatever they decide that they're going to take care of the brand as, as best they can. But uh, the, the desire, I will say, is to keep the double E logo. Okay, what is sort of looming out there kind of top of the list for a potential name you mentioned the the edmonton empire has been out there edmonton energy edmonton mm-hmm. elks uh what other names are floating around out there that you've heard i have heard uh, eagles i have heard uh, i've heard equinox i have heard uh, this one is my personal favorite i have heard express i, I kind of like that name okay. that's a that's a cool that's a cool name that i think you could market uh uh, very well behind that name, uh, yeah. but uh, there's been. Uh, uh, I, I heard also today the Edmonton Everyone's, you know, so maybe that would be uh, a more inclusive name. I don't know. But, I uh, probably can't get more inclusive than that. <laughs> the Edmonton Everyone's. I'm not sure. I kind of like the Express though. I guess everyone's got their dictionary out and the letter E and going through every E they can they can find. Um, what is the process here for the name? Are they going to have some sort of a contest or any kind of a, a community engagement process? What's happening there? Yeah, there definitely will be fan engagement on on the name. There will be discussion with uh, season ticket holders as well and, and with their sponsors. And I believe there will be um, there will be discussion possibly with the Inuit community as well. Because I don't think you want to just drop that relationship and that engagement because that was started about five years ago. The team has made regular trips up north for the last uh, three four years, and I don't think you just want to drop drop that relationship and i don't think they they will but i think they will seek their input to see what might be an honoring name and if there's a way to maybe you know is is there something in the new in the new name or in the new you know branding i would say that could still honor the inuit community without being you know not being uh, you know get get yourself in hot water and and get to the area of being offensive so um so there'll be a number of areas and and i should point out too if there is a 2020 cfl season uh, there will not be a name in place in time, so the the team will be known or play under the Edmonton football team or the EE football team. So uh, yeah, it, it's ongoing right now. So we'll see what happens. Dave, great job covering this story. Thank you for making the time for us today. Happy to do it. Thank you, Mike.